Father, once again, we acknowledge every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and his whom there is no change, no shifting shadow. And Lord, because you do not change, we are not consumed, but rather we are blessed as children of God. Please receive from our hand, Lord, this token, this portion of what you have provided for us, and use it to build your kingdom, to further your kingdom, that it would stretch throughout the world, that it would fill the earth, and in fact, that it would fill all creation, Lord, until all things offer up glad praises to you. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians. The text for the sermon is just Galatians 5, 14. I'm going to read just two short verses, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for all of your good gifts. In this moment, we're especially grateful for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take this word and write it on our hearts, that we might grow in faith and that we might grow in obedience. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, probably somewhere along the way I have mentioned that pretty much every morning during the week, I use a small devotional called By Faith Alone, and it's really just a short uh, excerpt for each day somewhere out of a sermon or out of the writings of Martin Luther. There's a scripture verse up top, and then there's just one short page, and more often than not, I find something good for the day in that small book. Well, I was reading uh, maybe about a week ago, and Galatians 5.14 was the scripture verse up top. And as I was uh, reading it, I thought, wow, there's really a, there's a whole sermon right here in this one little short devotional. And then after that, I said, you know, I think that that would go very well as a sequel to last week's lesson on dealing with differences. And then as I continued to think about it, I thought, well, you know, that that text would also really serve very well uh, as a part of our overall worship, especially as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So uh, I, my mind began to turn, and I thought, okay, let's, uh, let's preach this morning on fulfilling the entire law. And wouldn't you love to do that? To, to fulfill the entire law. Um, I think it was Jim Rome. You have to hear the N. It's not Jim Rome. It's Jim Rome. Uh, kind of a Christian motivational speaker. I, I, just, I can hear him in the back of my mind just saying, 
It's easy. Fulfill the entire law. According to this verse, it's easy. You can reduce the whole thing to just one commandment. So let's look at this um, just kind of section by section, short verse, and answering the question, how do you fulfill the entire law? Well, first of all, with one command. That's all it takes. Just one command. And that command is love. Now, we've probably all heard at one time or another that love is not a feeling. Love is action. Uh, an emphasis on love as obedience. And certainly there's a dimension of that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? You'll keep my commandments. But we have to start by saying that, that love is an attitude that, that underlies all of our activity. After all, love is an emotional term. We need only think about love, for example, in the Song of Solomon. Uh, when he says, she loves me, and she says, I love him. Uh, that's more than just like calculated obedience. There's, there's heartfelt something in love. When Paul says the entire law is summed up in this one commandment, fulfilled in this one commandment, love... There's this whole attitude side that goes on. Can somebody tell me if we wanted like a biblical definition of love, what chapter in the New Testament might we turn to? 1 Corinthians 13. And you know, when we read those, especially when we focus on just verses 4 through 7, uh, we read things like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is humble. Love is polite, patient, kind, humble, polite. When you think of yourself, when you look in the mirror, is that what comes to mind? Patient, kind, humble, polite. Well, what about if other people who know you well were going to list some of your top attitudes in life? Would they say patient, kind, humble, polite? This is the attitude of love. Fulfilling the entire law, it only takes one command. And that command involves an attitude. An attitude of things like patience and kindness and humility and politeness. Now this is not very profound, is it? Is there anybody in this room that can't understand what I've just said? Not hard, is it? Until this afternoon. <laughs> See, it, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing, however, to put it into practice. Especially when we're tired and hungry. Which is kind of a metaphor for when we're just in the warp and woof and the fabric of life. Just one command. An attitude, patience, kindness, humility, politeness. But you know, folks who say love is not an emotion, it is action, they're kind of right. I just wish they would throw in one word, the word only. Love is not only an emotion. It's not just an attitude. 
It is action because when we read those same couple of verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, we also read things like, love yields to others. That's action. Love bears others up. That's action. Love endures difficult circumstances. Or we could say love endures difficult people. See, love is an attitude. It is politeness and kindness and humility and patience. But it's that attitude then that gets translated into how we actually relate to others. In particular, maybe to others with whom we have differences. I think if there's one verse, I like to try to boil things down. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching a, um, a class right now in, at First Prez uh, in Orlando on Mondays at lunchtime, and we're covering all of Kings, uh, all of Genesis through Kings minus the book of Ruth. We're, we're doing one book a, a, an hour. So we have 10 hours, we're doing one book an hour. And one thing I try to do is boil every book down to just one verse. If you can only know one verse in a book and you got this one, you really got the book. Well, I like to try to boil things down like that. And if I had to just give you one verse that really shows the action of love, it's probably one of the best known, if not the best known verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he... There it is, you see. For God so loved the world. He was so dominated by that attitude that it went into a particular kind of action. And the action is an action of giving. When you look in the mirror, do you say, now there's a person who characteristically yields to others, bears others up, endures difficult others, gives to others. What word was repeated Starts with others. You see love? Love love is oriented toward others. It's action toward others. That's all it takes, folks. You can fulfill the entire command just by every day, every hour, every moment. It doesn't take much. Just be perfectly patient perfectly kind, perfectly humble, perfectly polite, yielding to others, bearing others up, enduring difficult others, giving to others. If you do that, you have fulfilled the entire law. It's that easy. (laughs) Just one command. Now, second thing Paul says is that you fulfill the entire law with this one command as that one command is directed to one object. See how easy it is? He, Paul's making it real simple. You don't have to think about love with regard to, you know, like seven billion people who live on the earth's surface. Just one object, and that is neighbor. Now, neighbor here has some Old Testament background. In, uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, Verse 18. Uh, You were probably just reading in Leviticus sometime in the past week. There is a command that says uh, that you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
Now, in the Old Testament context, who is the neighbor? Well, in that world, the neighbor, by definition, is somebody who lives in close geographical proximity to you. And this was a little bit before globalization. So the people who lived in geographical proximity to you looked just like you look. They were your kind. Uh, They were people of your ethnicity. They were people of your religion. They were you. That's who the neighbor was in the Old Testament when it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, Jesus put an interesting twist on this, didn't he? In Luke chapter 10, a fellow came to Jesus and said to him, Good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And as a good teacher, Jesus didn't answer him. With an answer, he answered him with a question. He said, well, you know the commands, don't you? What do they say? And the fellow said, well, that's rather easy. Just love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you hit the nail right on the head. That's all you have to do. And so the guy was feeling a little bit like Jesus was maybe tightening the screws and going a direction he didn't want to go. So he tried to kind of wiggle out of the implications of this dialogue. And he said to Jesus, well, Jesus, tell me, who is my neighbor? I mean, if if i got to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. There was an accident along the highway. And fellow who was lying in the ditch, having been thrown out of the car, couldn't get up, couldn't do anything. The Presbyterian minister from town drove by. But, you know, he was on the way to visit a parishioner in the hospital. Good thing. He just didn't have time to stop. Well, then the choir director from the local Baptist church came by. And she was already running late because she had to drop her kids off at the the soccer field. And so she couldn't stop. Well, then the president of the local chapter of Gays for Equality came by. Pulled over. Stopped and helped. Took the fellow in his own car to the hospital. Said to the person at checkout... If there's any medical expenses left over, don't worry. I'll take care of them. And then Jesus said, who was the neighbor? What's the answer? Who was the neighbor? It's hard to say, isn't it? It was the president of the local chapter of Gays for Equality. Does that help you kind of feel like the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, which means nothing to us? But our new triad maybe helps us to feel what the ancients felt in Jesus' day when he was talking about it. See, Jesus said, don't try to so much define who a neighbor is. Just ask the question, to whom can you be a neighbor? Who needs your help? 
Who needs your mercy? That's not hard, is it? Doesn't take a lot to figure out who it is that is in your sphere of influence inside of your reach that you can be a neighbor to. You see, fulfilling the entire law, it's easy. Just one command directed to just one object. Love your neighbor. Now, Paul wraps this up by also saying that there's one model. If you want a model to follow, there's one. Uh, I tend to learn things by watching others. My, My oldest son, he works so that he can earn enough money to feed his surfing habit. Um, he's, he, has his, he has his grandpap and his great-grandpap's woodworking genes. I mean, he's really good at what he does. But down deep in his heart of hearts, he's a surfer. If you saw a picture of him, you'd probably recognize that. Um, I'm trying to see if there are any women here who have hair as long as my son will. <laughs> I, I see a... I, you're, you're close. When my, believe it or not, I used to have hair. When my, uh, when my father died about uh, a, almost two years, well, two years ago now, um, one of my sweethearts from high school happened to be in town and came to the um, funeral. And when she saw my son, Will, she said, I looked at him and I thought I was back in high school. (laughs) But at any rate, one model, when when Will was young, he would sit on the beach. We lived in California. He, He would sit on the beach near San Diego and just watch the surfers. And he wasn't just watching for entertainment. He was learning how to surf by watching people model. We all know what it's like to watch a model and then follow. Well, there is just one model for knowing how to fulfill the entire law. I would have expected Paul to say, love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you. Jesus as the model. Isn't that what you'd expect? What would Jesus do? Jesus as our model. Well, falling short of that, I might have expected the Apostle Paul to say, love your neighbor as I love my neighbor, following the example of Christ, because Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But he doesn't say either of those things. He says the only model you need to follow is self. That's pretty strange, isn't it? Because of how prone we are to denigrate ourselves. Have we fallen short of the glory of God? Is the wage of sin death? Yes, see, we know that, right? And so that can become the only way we view ourselves. Paul says, one command, love. One object, neighbor. One model, self. Love your neighbor As you love yourself. Now, love of self, interestingly enough, is never, ever commanded in the Bible, at least not that I can find. 
The Bible commands you to love God. Presumption is that might not be your natural inclination. The Bible commands you to love neighbor. Presumption is that might not be your natural inclination. The Bible never commands you to love yourself because that's your natural inclination. See, love of self is never commanded in the Bible. It's always just presumed. It's kind of like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. There's no like theological argumentation for the existence of God, proof that he's there, proof that he did this. It just, it just presumes that God is there and God brought about the creation. In the same way, Here in this command, Paul says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's just presuming that self-love is a given. And in this sense, it's not only a given, but it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. This is why elsewhere Paul will say the same kind of thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church because you're just loving your Self. Paul says, nobody ever harmed himself, but everybody always takes care of himself. Now, Paul does not have in view here all sorts of pathologies that we know are all too real in human existence where people do harm themselves. So when he says nobody ever harms themselves, he's using hyperbolic language. He's exaggerating to make the point. He's saying, fellas... If you want to know how to love your wife, it's not hard, it's easy. Just look at the things that you want for yourself. James says the same thing. In James 2.8, he talks about fulfilling the royal law. And he says to fulfill the royal law, you just love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they got this from Jesus because Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, said the greatest commandment is to love God. And remember, Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment. And he said the greatest commandment is to love God. But he couldn't stop there. He said, because if I stop there, I'm giving you a truncated answer. It's not enough to know that loving God is the greatest commandment. You've got to also know that there's another one like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why did Jesus add a second commandment to the answer when he was only asked for one? It's because of what James teaches. How can you possibly say you love God whom you have not seen if you are not loving the neighbor that you see day after day after day? See, love for God can be so ethereal. Love for neighbor is so concrete. Do you want concrete knowledge that you are loving God? Love your neighbor. The the two are so tied together. So you see, fulfilling the entire law, the ones, it's, it's just so easy to fulfill the entire law. Only takes one commandment, love. Only takes that commandment directed to one person, neighbor. And you only need one model to follow, and that's self. Luther said in his little devotional, it's not hard, it's easy. 
Do you want to know how to love your neighbor? Just stop for a moment and just think of how you want to be loved. Is there a person in this room who does not want to be loved? We all do. I know it because we were created not only to give love, but to receive love. And Paul says, it's easy to know how to love your neighbor. Just think about how you want to be loved. Husbands and wives, how do you want to be loved? Give that. Children, how do you want your parents to love you? Give that. Parents, how do you want your children to love you? Give that. How do you want people at work to love you? Give that. You see, it's, it's that easy. It doesn't take a seminary degree to figure this one out. You, I wish I didn't have to say it, but it's true. You don't even have to know Hebrew. <laughs> it might help. But you don't have to know Hebrew. You just have to take a look inside honestly. And you have to see how you want people to love you. And instead of expecting them to do so, you give that to them. And in conclusion, there's one key. We've got to stay with the ones, right? There's one key. And the key really is Christ. You know, Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. Christ is the one who has perfectly kept this law for you. He had the right attitude, patient, kind, humble, polite. He had the right action. He forbear, he put up with, he endured. He endured the hardest of all things. He directed all of that to neighbor, to those who needed his mercy and his grace. And he did it based on self, because when he looked inside himself, he saw the perfect love of God. See, we, in theological terms, we speak of Christ's active and his passive obedience, I never grew up with that. I grew up being taught, which is true, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. But there's more to it than that. Before Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, he lived a perfect life of righteousness and obedience in my place. You see, there's that double switch. When I trust in God, when I trust in Christ by grace... When I'm trusting in Christ, I'm trusting that his perfect fulfilling of this one command to one object with one model, his fulfilling of that was for me. And so God takes his perfect righteousness and he clothes me with it. See, he couldn't have clothed me with his righteousness if he hadn't been perfectly righteous in my place. And so he clothes me with his righteousness. But what about my unrighteous rags, as Isaiah calls them? 
That's his passive obedience. When he gives me his perfect clothing, I give him my soiled clothing, and he wears his, my soiled clothing, which is why he had to be crucified, because the wage of soiled clothing is death. And so we have that great switch whereby I get his perfect righteousness. He kept this one command toward one object with one model absolutely perfectly, and it's mine freely by grace through faith, and it's yours as well. And if you've never received it, what better day than today? Uh, And my soiled lack of fulfilling this commandment. And it only takes one time, forever keeps the whole law, and yet breaks it at just one point, is guilty of the entire breaking. All of that goes to Christ. He dies on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. His passive and his active obedience. Christ has fulfilled this law for you. So please don't leave by thinking, if I can only get my attitude better, And if I can only get my action better, and if I can only love neighbor as I want neighbor to love self, then I've got eternal life. Realize that we haven't, we don't, we won't, he did. But there's more to it than that as well, right? Because Christ has not only fulfilled this law for you, He's also now in the process of fulfilling it in you. He's at work by his word in all circumstances, especially by his word and his spirit and by things like the celebration of the Lord's Supper to shape you more and more into people who come closer and closer to entirely fulfilling the law with just one command, love, directed to one object, neighbor, based on one model, self. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We are grateful for Christ, who is the word, and who has fulfilled the word for us. And we pray that your spirit would, as we confessed, activate this word in each of our hearts and lives, that we might, by your grace, trust in the perfect obedience of Christ as ours, and trust that Christ has paid the penalty for all of our sins, and trust that Christ, by his word and spirit, and by the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning, is shaping us more and more into those who fulfill the law entirely. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's respond.